Hi, and welcome to Reasonable Product, the podcast that gives a fresh perspective on technology, organization, and product management in a way that resonates to product and business leaders. I am Salva, and in this deep dive, we'll be talking about technical and product tab. This podcast is intended for business-oriented people, including product managers. Don't have the time to listen to the full podcast now? Then don't forget to save it for later and remember these three words, decide, manage, and plan. Those are the keywords to avoid product debt in the first place. Now, there might be something in the air, but I see more and more people talking about technical debt. This is nothing new, and developers, product teams, and even bloggers have been discussing software getting clutter for some time now. What is indeed interesting is to see tech debt becoming a subject even outside of the user circles. A subject discussed, but I'm not sure if really understood by a larger public, including business owners, CEOs, and even salespeople. Now, despite this, be- this broader attention, the topic is still complex, and I'm seeing many people somehow confused. So, we'll get all of this covered in the next few minutes, but most importantly, I will try to clarify why tech debt is not really the problem, and I will argue that product debt is the real enemy here. But first of all, what is really technical debt? I define it as the set of consequences on software that are due to technical shortcuts and to all the decisions taken to favor speed over a more future-proof approach. Those decisions might be very different, but they usually include elements such as hard coding the values rather than using configuration files or using libraries or SDK software development kits that are not guaranteed to be supported in the long term or writing non-polished or just poorly written code, what is usually known as spaghetti code, using a different development stack than the main one you're using, or you know, accepting those nasty last-minute changes that have a big impact on the product. While all these tricks might speed up the development in the short term, they also create a situation that is increasingly complex to manage. And this complexity grows exponentially over time, Until this point, we're developing or even just maintaining, debugging or supporting the existing code becomes prohibitively expensive and frustratingly long. This is the reason why tech debt is often pointed out as the major enemy of speed and of product teams and tech teams. And this is also why you might hear the engineering team claiming that they need to stop everything now and pay the debt. But does this mean that debt is bad in the first place? Well, not necessarily. And this is the point. While growing technical debt can easily become a burden that can kill your product or at least your ability to evolve it, at the same time, just like financial debt, technical debt is not bad per se. It's actually a tool that can be very powerful to help you develop your product and the full company. So. Just as when you walk into a bank and get a loan, you're contracting debt, when you decide to take a shortcut in software development, you're contracting technical debt. Depending on how you're going to use this and to manage it, and how you're planning to pay, to pay back this debt, both kinds of debt are potentially going to give you back much more than the cost. So in this sense, they're not bad at all. They actually can be a very good deal. But the key word here is 
deciding, planning, and managing. In other words, contracting debt needs a strategy in the first place. Contracting debt shall be a deliberate choice and not just taken as a default path. What's in for you when you decide to contract this debt is that you get a sort of booster to make your product faster uh, for a few iterations or so. And this is actually a great advantage because it allows you to iterate quickly to test product market fit and potentially decide faster that you don't need this feature altogether. And if you think about this, going fast and creating some debt now can actually help you avoiding debt. How is that? Going faster, understanding soon that you don't need this feature altogether and removing it means that eventually you've got less code, less clutter and less debt. So that's a win. Also, when more subtle advantage is that getting some shortcuts can sometimes be useful to get results fast. And getting results fast might mean hitting the reward, which might be monetary or efficiency coming from this product feature faster and eventually reinvesting this reward back into the product to industrialize and reduce the debt. So what about the planning? First of all, acknowledgement is definitely a first step. Understanding and aligning the teams on the fact that the debt is there and will have to be paid back sooner than later, it's something that you really don't want to miss. Also factoring in a decision milestone, for example, kill or improve as a result of your product's experiment from the first moment is also a very good practice because it forces you and ensure that this doesn't get forgotten. So in conclusion, the main takeaway is that the only technical debt that is really able is the one that you didn't need in the first place or that you took as a consequence of a non-deliberate choice. But now to the core of the subject, product debt instead. Now you've seen what tech debt is, let's move to this less, less known and arguably more dangerous brother, product debt. And let's start with my own definition. Product debt is the cumulus of product features, functionalities, customization, and hindering complexities that are not demonstrably contributing to the realization of its mission or are coming out of past choices and commitments that are not in line with the product vision. So with this definition in mind, it should be immediately clear that product debt has some things in common with tech debt, but also it's got some difference. So, as tech debt, product debt also might be the results of shortcuts or tests done to validate a particular solution, might be deliberate or not, and does create a burden on the product, on the teams, and on the company. But differently than tech debt, product debt can build up alone. Even if you don't do anything, deliberately to, to do so. Just adding stuff that get rusted and forget the stuff you added, and you will have debt. It creates pains not only for the teams, but also for the customer, who gets easily lost in complex offers or interfaces or just too many options. It makes the onboarding process of the new team members more complex. Now, think about this. If your product is too complex, this means that every new person you're onboarding on the team is just going to be taking much more time to be efficient and to understand the product itself. Also, product that prevents new business opportunities. For example, a small feature for one customer that is just incompatible with a new business model in the future. Another thing which is pretty nasty is that 
only you can fix product that. Well, you can hire a software agency to refactor software architecture, but you can't really ask an external company to decide what you need or you don't need in your product. And finally, product debt is usually the first consequence of choices taken on the basis of, you know, this is a low hanging fruit kind of discussion. Decisions taken on the basis of what is easy today tend to hide what is the real cost, which is the lifetime maintenance cost of a new feature of product. And as a consequence, it's much more difficult to have people understand why product debt is bad. And that's also why we are talking about this today. So this difference making my experience product debt more subtle and as a consequence, harder to identify and more dangerous than, product, than technical debt. Product debt, I call it usually a silent killer. And an insidious reason for this silent killing comes from the product having been found the product itself and product people have been around for enough time and having accumulated enough experience on the product to become expert PMs or expert users. And by definition, because they are experts, they don't consider the product complicated and cluttered anymore because they are experts, you know, and they can navigate through this chaos, but this doesn't mean that the, the, the depth is not there. I experienced myself some product depth very concretely in the past. In, in one of my previous companies, we, we got into an exclusive agreement with one of our customers. He was a seller on a platform. And due to this agreement, we could only show some characteristics of the items for sale on our platform, only if the items were coming from this particular seller. Although it was a big customer, so the financial reason was there, this exclusive feature prevented us from extending to other customers and even worse, from giving this valuable information about the items to the buyers who wanted to buy from other sellers. So in reality, we, we tightened ourselves into bad customer experience by design. In another case, so adding a payment method, and again, people were arguing, what, you know, what's, what's bad with it? it? In reality, it was just used by less than 1% of our target customers. And these people could have used another payment, by the way. This created increased payment issues, more code to support, but also additional relationship with, with financial institutions to manage and additional clutter or interfaces. Um, another very funny one, in one organization, we had two teams working on two different solutions for the same problem, which is okay, to be clear, but as we never managed to get a clear data, measurable data about the winning solution to keep, we eventually kept both of them and we said, well, let's figure out, let's have the user figure out which one and choose for us. Needless to say, uh, none of them what the user wanted, the user didn't want to choose, and this dispersed our energy, so at the end of the day, we had to kill both solution. And finally, and this is very, very dangerous, I saw teams insisting on developing a given feature just because, you know what, we, it, it wasn't the backlog at a certain point, and why not? After, after all, we, we do have some spare time. Do you want us to be idle? Um, it's better doing something than be idle, right? So this unreflected work is a great source of product depth. And remember this, in product, creating is much easier than killing. So you don't have to create just because, you have to be sure about what you're creating. Well, now what can you do against this tab? There are weapons you can use. First of all, is having a clear and communicated product vision, because you can use this to benchmark all your choices against 
and being upfront and consistent about prioritization, not trying to please everyone, especially when people don't adhere to the product vision in the first place. How you do that? Measure, measure, measure as always, have the right metrics and ensure that data are part of the decision to build before and even to keep any feature. This makes the decision and the discussion much more rational and less uh, emotional. Have regular product reviews and cleanups uh, like spring cleaning in general, killing by default rather than keeping by default a feature is a very good option. Be clear about what you do, but even more clear about what you don't do and what you will not do with your product. And finally, be naive, don't be an expert. Uh, strive for simplicity, don't fall into the expert trap, into the we know the product, we're experts, so it's easy. If you look at things with the eyes of an expert, you're becoming blind to complexity, which is where product depth usually hides. Now, you know everything about tech depth, about product depth, uh, you may be asking, are those the only kind of dabs or devil, deals with the evil, as I call them, that we find in software products? Uh, well, no. And over the last several years working in e-commerce and software industry in general, one of the interesting things I noticed is that are the same notion of dab can be extended by analogy to slightly different kinds of dab with the same consequences. One is UX or design dab. So, a mix of adding buttons, features, in general, making the product feeling more cluttered and difficult to use. Also, trying to please everybody, customers, sales, internal stakeholders, and not taking choices usually plays a role in this. And this is a real time bomb for your digital products, can hit back also in terms of adoption and conversion. So this is very material as a damage. Think, for example, about what is called choice overload, where people just don't take a choice anymore because they're just overwhelmed by the number of options they get. Another one, it, this is probably my favorite one, oh, actually my most feared one. I call this people dab. This is when you make a desperate hire today or an impossible promise just because you've got a feeling you don't have another option. Or when I say by desperate hire, I mean, you know that this person is not the right person, but you don't really seem to have an option or impossible promise like, dude, this crappy project today will lead you into a promotion or you just make a promotion by default because you know you, you want to show that there is an evolution path. And guess what? This is bad for the company, but it's also very, very bad for the employee. This leaves you with an organization which is disorganized, cluttered, and also with clueless and disempowered people. So if people are your asset, I would say people debt is actually inflation. Finally, business debt. Exclusivity is bad pricing, aggressive discounting, customization, and bad unit economics, really the basis. Those are things that are often easy to do, but very difficult to reverse. So I will not extend this concept further, but I believe that the point is pretty clear. There is no free meal, especially in tech and product. Modern Stocks, product methodologies allow us to go very fast, which is good. And we do have this booster option with DAB sometimes. And although they often come handy in the short term, they always come with a caveat. So do use all the alternatives you have, leverage every opportunity, take shortcuts when it makes sense to you, but do take conscious decisions, take plan wisely, and actively manage your options. Also, 
And important, it's important to note how those different kind of debts often happen together and have an amplification effect. So more business debt leads to more features and more product debt, which in turn creates a fertile environment for tech debt and so on. There is a final word I want to say on a slightly different note, and I'm aware that tech debt and product debt remains a pretty complex and technical subject. I hope this podcast helped you to demystify them somehow. Nevertheless, their business implication is direct and very material, and product and tech debt are indeed a measure of the ability of a product and as a consequence of the company to effectively and efficiently continue to grow. So those are key indicators to keep in mind when talking about investment, acquisitions, and valuations. I, I find it interesting and astonishing how little attention is spent on those topics and how light many due diligence are on those aspects, especially when it comes to business where the actual execution and the customer experience are the products and as opposed to specific IP or deep, deep technology. So in this particular case, you have to be extremely careful about what you're buying or where you're investing or the valuation which you're investing because in reality, the capacity of the company and the ability of the company to develop on this product is where you're putting your money. So I'm very curious to hear examples and other experiences. If you'd like to share the funniest or the worst example of product type you experienced, I'd be very interested to know. So thanks for having been with me until here. I hope you enjoyed it and I look forward to welcoming you back to Reasonable Products soon. Remember, you can find a full podcast, articles, and other product management thoughts on my website, reasonableproduct.com.